0: It's Showtime. Don't say it. Please, don't say it. No, I have to say it, Mitch. Showtime. Showtime! It's Showtime, everybody! Showtime! Welcome back to the Showtime Movie Podcast. I am your host, Joe. As always, thank you for listening. Uh, It's been a couple couple of weeks, actually, since I've been able to do a podcast episode. Boy, it has been absolutely insane. At work, uh, I don't know if I've ever actually said this on the air. I mean, I've said I've worked at a radio station before, but specifically, I work on the Blue Jays post game show as a producer and sometimes host. And as we are now getting into, you know, getting into the kind of middle of the summer here, the Blue Jays have been kind of all over the place. So I've been working a whole ton more. I have not watched a lot of movies. I gotta say, like, just not a ton of movie watching since I last watched. Wrath of Man, I think, is the last movie I saw. I mean, before before the movies in this episode, certainly. I mean, right? I have watched a lot of TV recently. I don't know about you guys. I've it's been it's I, I, like it's it's so much easier to watch like a forty five minute episode of television, even that's friggin' long, right? But it's it has been a lot easier. I feel like l- since I last watched the Ra- Wrath of Man, then I watched In the Heights and Luca, which we're going to talk about today. But since I last watched. Wrath of Man. I have watched, let's see, three seasons of Yellowstone. I have watched the uh, last little bit of season five, like the second half of season five of Lucifer. And I just started watching The Expanse. I had just finished two seasons. I just just started watching season three of The Expanse. And I have read all of The Expanse books written by um, James S.A. Corey, which I think is a pen name for... Two guys, right? It's like something Abraham and something Frank, I think are the names of the actual authors who are like combined for that pseudonym pseudonym slash pen name. Um so the expanse book, very good. If you're looking for a good sci-fi series to read, and you can read a lot of the series, I think there are I think there are nine books or ten books planned, and all of them but one are currently out right now with the uh the last one apparently coming out later this year, apparently coming out like in November 2021. But either way, the series, the, the TV show is very, very good. Um, gets off to a little bit of a slow start, but I'm getting into season three now and it's very, very good. Very faithful to the books as well. And I think it must help because I think two of the writers are the two guys who write the books. So hey, when you can do that, why not? right? So um, yeah, a little bit of a TV, a uh, couple of TV mentions there, Yellowstone, Lucifer and The Expanse. Um before we get to In the Heights and Luca and we'll get to those reviews in a sec, I wanted to talk a little bit about the latest kind of parts of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the MCU. I'm not going to give any reviews right now cuz I think we kind of did that for WandaVision. Uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier was fine as a character study and an examination of how race is viewed especially in the MCU. Um probably not critical viewing if you just want to watch the movies, like you could probably go into the next Captain America movie, you know, knowing that at the end of Endgame, the character Falcon got the shield from Captain America. So you you know like you can you can definitely watch the TV show to get like the connect the dots kind of thing. But if you just watch the next movie and you see Falcon you know holding the shield and suiting up in a new like new costume, new outfit, then you know you're probably not missing out on a whole hell of a lot. But uh, Loki, which is the uh, latest I guess Disney Plus series. A six-episode run, three episodes are out at the time of me recording this. Pretty good so far, I gotta say. Pretty interesting, kind of different weird stuff that will probably have implications for the next batch of movies. Specifically, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which also ties into WandaVision. So, Marvel doing their best to lay the groundwork for uh some of the movies in the not too distant future black widow coming out soon as well i'm sure that'll be one of the next movies we talk about um, here on the showtime movie podcast but the trailer for shang chi and the ten rings came out today the 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 official trailer i think the teaser had come out a couple of months ago or you know however long ago it came out but uh the official trailer came out today and i want to play just a little bit for you right here i told my men They wouldn't be able to kill you if they tried. (laughs) Glad I was right. You're just a criminal who murders people. Be careful how you speak to me, boy. I know you're just listening to it and you're not actually watching it, right? Because, of course, this is a podcast. So it's pretty easy to go find if you go on YouTube or just Google it, Twitter or whatever, wherever you watch your movie trailers. I think this looks fantastic. I got to say. It gives me very much Black Panther vibes in the sense that, like, we don't know too much about Shang-Chi if you're not a comic book reader. I, like, I was a comic book reader and even I don't know too much about Shang-Chi. So looks pretty cool. Um, get a shot of a dragon at the end. Is there an Abomination there? Is that a bit of a nod to uh, to uh, The Incredible Hulk, which was the second-ever MCU movie back in, like, 2000 and what 2009 or something like that. So that's pretty remarkable. Wong from Doctor Strange. It looks like he may be in there, right? Um, I just think this movie looks absolutely phenomenal. I am so fascinated. I am so fascinated by Tony Leung being the Mandarin. I think that's going to be really cool. And, again, again, you're only listening to it, but if you look at the... Uh, the ten rings because he's like, they're like weapons or something. They look awesome. I think the first trailer, which still intrigued me, I'm very excited to watch this movie. The first trailer kind of made it look a little more genericy action film, like martial arts film. Which, still, I'm sure it's going to be very very good action wise. But the the kind of Marvel like mystique right about it right like the special stuff that gives Marvel movies that extra little oomph over a normal action film. I think, uh, are, are more on display in this trailer, what with what we appear to be Fin Fang Foom, and like I said, the Abomination and Wong, and the, and the rings, and all sorts of stuff, right? So I'm, I'm really excited. The music sounds really good as well, so you better believe, uh, much like, I mean, hell, you listen to this podcast... The intro song was very much inspired by the trailer music from Black Panther cause I, I and now I love Run the Jewels because of it. I kind of hope something similar happens for Shang Chi because that's just really cool. But anyways, um, I, I sincerely, uh, if you're if you're a an MCU fan like I am, I sincerely recommend you going to watch that trailer because it looks awesome. I'm sure we'll we'll talk more about Marvel stuff coming up a little later. I think once Loki is done as well, my pal Josh Goldberg is going to rejoin us here on the Showtime Movie Podcast. And we'll do a little bit of a, maybe a, an undertaking, uh, you know, a, an assessment of, of where the MCU is these days. And I think that'll be a little bit of a fun, too, before we get to uh, the next stage of the MCU after Black Widow. But... I promised we were going to get some actual reviews in today, right? So, In the Heights and Luca, and why don't we start with the uh, latest big-budget musical directed by John Shu and written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, In the Heights. In the Heights I hang my flag We came to work and to live, and we got a lot in When it comes to In the Heights, I kind of feel like maybe it's unfair, right? Maybe it's unfair to compare it to Hamilton because, well, you know, Hamilton was really good. Did we actually talk about Hamilton on the podcast? No, I don't remember. Gosh, time is a flat circle. Time means nothing. Time, everything blends together these days, right? I don't actually remember. I don't think we did because it's not really a movie, right? It was just the, the performance on Disney+. Plus was simply a recording of a stage performance I think it was actually a recording of of two performances a couple of dress rehearsals and maybe some other you know because the you could hear and see the audience and so on but again maybe it's unfair to compare in the heights to hamilton but you would think that it would be unfair because hamilton was a stage performance and in the heights is an actual filmed movie right but the truth is I think it's unfair because Hamilton, even as a stage performance, is better than In the Heights. I think, and again, it's not. I, I don't think In the Heights is a bad film by any means. I like movie musicals. I, I have liked almost every musical I have seen in a filmed capacity. Right? I certainly have loved all of the Broadway musicals I've seen as well. Certainly, I'm not going to argue that I haven't. But gosh, In the Heights, it's just. I just think that the the biggest problem with it is that none of the songs are all that catchy. I think that's the biggest problem, right? Like There there are a couple of nice ones, right? Like the Piragua song that is actually, funnily enough, sang by Lin-Manuel Miranda. That guy has his warts, certainly, but that song was super catchy. And I will say, the uh, and I'm blanking on what it's called, but the Abuela song, Abuela Claudia, when she's on the subway and she, you know, I mean, spoilers when she dies, essentially, right? Uh, that that song was very moving and it was also very visually stimulating because a lot of the other songs, gosh, I don't know. With, within the Heights, it all felt like every song was, I rep my city, I rep New York, I, wish, I rep Washington Heights. And as someone who is not from New York, has only been to Manhattan a handful of times and has certainly never been to Washington Heights, I think as the far, the furthest north I've been, I think, is the Bronx, which I think is as I mean, relatively close to Washington Nights, I think. I, I have no idea, and I'm not going to fact check it because who cares because I'm not from New York. But I, I just – all of the songs kind of felt like that, right? And I think that was my biggest problem. Like I said, the Claudia song was great because it was emotional. It was someone singing about – their their past and what drove their family to come i think she's from cuba so what drove their family to come from havana to uh new york and kind of their her experience growing up and she kind of walks you through her life from uh from birth essentially right from a very young age to uh, immigrating to America and what that experience was like and certainly you know gr- growing older and representing her community and helping the people in her community. And I think that's a, certainly a big theme with the Heights, right? Like being a part of something greater than yourself and so on and so forth. But I think I, I liked that for sure because she was an interesting character even though she got, didn't get a ton of screen time. And then on top of that, the actual filming of that sequence looked really cool. It was like, it was in and out of subway cars like she was taking the the like the nyc transit uh to and from different places in new york but it was like kind of like she was getting on and off the stops of her life essentially right and i mean the metaphor is pretty easy to decipher because at the end of it she gets off the train and she exits the subway station and then it cuts to her like you know dying right she like she exits the subway station walks up the stairs and into the light so she essentially like goes to heaven right which is uh, as an aside as someone who lives in Toronto where there is a similar relatively similar subway uh, system here um that getting off the subway system is viewed as getting into heaven is makes me kind of laugh uh because i kind of agree <laughs> it's like being in the subway is like being, being on the ride of life or or maybe a less charitable reading is being in hell but Either way, the, the Claudia song was absolutely terrific. Probably the best individual part of this entire movie. And like I said, the Piragua song. But yeah, the rest of the movie was kind of meh, I feel like, right? It's Not for a lack of trying by any means. Like uh, Anthony Ramos and Corey Hawkins both stood out to me as two guys I would love to see more of. If you remember, Corey Hawkins played Dr. Dre in the Straight of Compton movie, and uh, he was great as Benny in this one, and certainly Anthony, Anthony Ramos as the star, Usnavi. Um, again, I had never seen In the Heights as a stage performance. I, this is my first and only experience with In the Heights, most likely, but Anthony Ramos, I got to say, that guy oozes charisma, okay? He oozes it. It just comes out of every pore. He is absolutely fantastic. I, I remember... Um, uh, after Hamilton came out on Disney Plus, I think Lin Manuel Miranda did a little bit of a like he was like a tweet along, a watch along kind of thing on social media, and he talked about how he believed Anthony Ramos was going to be a star. And you know what? After seeing In the Heights, it's hard not to agree with him. I gotta say that guy is just he has the easiest smile. He's obviously incredibly attractive. He is has the timing down. He can sing. I mean, I know Leslie Odom Jr. was one of the bigger stars to come out of Hamilton. Like to, at least in recent memory, right? Cause remember he was in one uh, one night in Miami. He was in the Murder on the Orient Express remake with Kenneth Branagh. Um, you know, he's been in other films as well, but those are the two that come to mind. Certainly, he is extremely talented as well. But I would not bet against Anthony Ramos being super in the public eye going forward. I actually think, I think it was like a couple days ago or a couple, maybe last week, they announced um, the sequel to the Bumblebee movie. Like the, I know it's like just another Transformers movie, but it's not a Michael Bay Transformers movie. It's just another one. And I forget what the name of it was. It was like Transformers, the Rise of the Machines or Rise of the Beast Machines or whatever. It's basically, they're just bringing in the Beast Wars uh, cartoon, the 3D cartoon. That was one of my favorite shows when I was younger. They're bringing that into the Transformers canon. So, okay, whatever. Fine, that's fine. But Anthony Ramos is the star of that movie, which is kind of remarkable, right? So he is the star, uh, Dominique Fishback, who we uh, remember from Project Power with Jamie Foxx, which wasn't great, but she was certainly good in it. And uh, also uh, Judas and the Black Messiah more recently, right? Of course, nominated for a million Oscars. So... Uh, They're the two stars. It's really interesting to see what kind of presence they bring to a movie. Frankly, a franchise where I always am arguing there doesn't need to be any humans. Just give me only the robots, but hey, if there was any one human to kind of... Because remember we got Shia LaBeouf, and then we got uh, Mark Wahlberg, and so on. Now that we've moved past the era of those two, hey... If it's Anthony Ramos, I you could do a lot worse than, than him, okay? Uh, again, I mentioned Corey Hawkins was pretty good. Jimmy Smits was in this as well. And I got to say, I'll watch anything Jimmy Smits is in. He is fun. He didn't get enough singing, I thought. Not enough singing from him. And he was... Uh, I want to see more more of that kind of... Part of his game be stretched because gosh i love watching jimmy Smith. he just has such an easy voice and pro- like is he the most famous actor in this entire movie like maybe i would say right i guess lin-manuel miranda is getting up there but i don't know if he's that famous for being an actor specifically right so hell it might very well be jimmy Smith. and again he was great in the limited part he had um leslie grace i believe was the the character nina and uh she was also great she also bears an uncanny resemblance to zendaya but uh she That girl has some pipes. Like, my God, she can sing. I actually think that of all of the characters who sing in this movie, I mean, it's a musical, right? But of all the characters who sing, I actually think I liked her the best. I think I liked Leslie Grace's performance the best. Melissa Barrera, who plays... Uh, Vanessa, I think, is her character's name, Uh she's kind of forgettable character, generally speaking, even if she all, she also could sing, I mean, they could all sing exceptionally well, but I thought, uh yeah, she was fine, but Leslie Grace, I thought, was the real star of the of the of any of them really of any of the characters that sing, um lastly, I guess. They did have some, I guess we started the conversation by talking about Hamilton, uh, ended on this as well. They had a couple of fun Hamilton Easter eggs, probably a number of them. But the two that I noticed most prominently, um, when Jimmy Smith is on the phone, he's calling Stanford, because that's where Nina goes. He's calling Stanford, and he's put on hold, and you can hear um, the What Comes Next music, like the King George song. You can hear like the the musical interlude as the hold music, which was kind of a fun little Easter egg. And uh, funnily enough, Christopher Jackson who plays George Washington in the original run of Hamilton. Um, and again, I, my only experience with Hamilton is watching it on Disney+, Plus, but it, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great way to watch it because you don't have to go to New York to see it, right? And it, it, you're also getting to see the original stars. So Christopher Jackson, the original guy who played George Washington, and apparently, because of course, I, I feel like if you like In the Heights, you're already aware that Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote this as his first play. Uh, and he played Usnavi in the original run. And the original character Benny, again, played by Corey Hawkins in this one, was played by Christopher Jackson. So clearly, you know, Jackson and Miranda have a a friend. They're friends and so on. And in this version... Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda is like an ice ice shaver, snow cone maker on the streets of New York, and he's kind of competing with a, a Mr. Softy ice cream truck, and the uh, evil villainous Mr. Softy guy, uh, ice cream truck operator is Christopher Jackson, so it's kind of funny to see them both kind of be in the In the Heights movie after they were the two stars in the original run, and of course uh, in Hamilton together as well, so I, I'm sure there were some other Hamilton Easter eggs as well, but uh, those are the two that stood out to me, and it was, a, it was again, In the Heights, a fine watch. I, I don't know enough about New York or Washington Heights to really comment too much on the whole Afro-Latino controversy that Lin-Manuel Miranda has since apologized for. Because, and it's true, you watch this movie, apart from Corey Hawkins, there is there are basically no black people in this movie. Um, apart from a handful of background dancers and singers. And... From what little I know of New York, that is kind of an egregious oversight, but again, I can't comment on it too much because I'm not from New York, I've never lived there, I've only been to the city maybe twice in my entire life, and one of those times I went to Queens, so not exactly the Washington Heights neighborhood, but uh, again, I think it is important to just note because, you know, I, these, these movies in particular, I think, are about diversity and about recognizing diversity, and I think it's a shame at the very least to have some groups of people who are integral to that community feel like they weren't seen, right? Because in, like, in, I don't know, in favor of other minorities, I don't know. You never want to be splitting up and splitting hairs between minorities because everyone really, you know, has really suffered when it comes to that kind of stuff and representation and, and in real life as well. But again, I just, I, at least Lynn manuel Miranda has promised to do better. It's just how often do these big, budget musicals come around not that often especially in in the modern era but i digress the uh, in the in the heights film itself again an easy watch largely fine anthony ramos very charismatic but just the movie in general if you feel i'm being harsh when it comes to me saying there are not a lot of catchy songs in this movie hey let me know what song you thought really was catchy because outside of the two i mentioned the paragua song and the abuela claudia song Maybe the only other song that really had any kind of verve was the the opening number like the In the Heights number when you get introduced to every character and the movie never really recaptured that verb I I would argue personally right if you feel otherwise let me know because I I think that's what made me enjoy this film a little less but either way In the Heights again easy watch it's now out uh if you don't want to go see it in the theaters it's out on streaming which is how I saw it so uh Again, if you like musicals, you'll probably like this one, and if not, you uh, probably are not listening to this review anyway. Let's get right to our other film on the roster for today. It's funny, we usually do a couple of movies, like more than two movies, I guess is what I'm saying, on each episode of the Showtime Movie Podcast, but only two uh, today, so we already got through the review for In the Heights. And so let's get to Pixar's latest offering. It's crazy to think that We are, what, like 15-plus months into the pandemic. We've already gotten two Pixar movies. Onward was the last one, and the newest one is Luca. These days, when you watch a Pixar movie, I feel like the expectation is that it's always going to be phenomenal, right? Like, it's going to get knocked out of the park, you're gonna cry. You're gonna think about the meaning of life afterwards. That's where we're at with Pixar, right? And I, again, I guess by saying that, you would, you would probably guess that I don't think Luca does any of those things. Luca is a very good movie. Okay, Luca. Luca is borders on being great for Pixar. I personally think. I understand the criticisms that it is a simpler movie. It is smaller stakes, but I don't think that necessarily makes it bad. I mean, hell, during the pandemic, we've gotten two pixar movies right we got onward which i didn't love admittedly i mean i like fantasy stuff but admittedly did not love onward i think luca is years better than on than than onward ever was frankly um not because not because of the story or anything like that but just because i feel like the deeper meaning behind luca is something that is more accessible for more people right onward Like it's about learning to let go perhaps and learning to appreciate what you have as well. Certainly that's accessible to everyone. I'm not saying it's not. But when it comes to Luca, and again, it's about sea monsters in like the 50s, right? Like it takes place outside of a sleepy little Italian village and the two main characters, Luca and Alberto, who are like teenage boys um, who are sea monsters, right? And whenever they they leave the water – and they set foot on land, they turn into humans, right? And they, I guess they, people didn't know you could do that, or they didn't know that. And they're, le- they're basically learning about themselves as they're learning about the human world, and it's kind of like, almost like a literal fish-out-of-water scenario, and then they, you know, they, they get reasons for staying on land, and Luca wants to, you know, he's a kid, he wants to learn more beyond his small little world, right? Like, don't, it's a, don't get me wrong, it's something we've all seen before, But I think the message behind it, because they are sea monsters disguising themselves as humans in a human village and they're afraid to let their true identity show because everyone in the village and the pictures of people hunting down sea monsters and killing them and everyone talks about how awful and gross and disgusting sea monsters are. I mean, hell, this movie came out during Pride Month. At least, actually, you know what? I don't, I don't know if it's Pride Month everywhere, but it's certainly Pride Month here in Toronto. And uh, I think it's a pretty obvious metaphor for people coming out, right? The director has said that it's not about that, but I mean, I, you know, given that the uh, the mouse is probably never going to explicitly make a movie about two gay teenagers or two gay young boys, it's probably, you know, I, I don't, I'm not surprised he said that. But I mean, come on, right? The the film's climax literally ends with them being outed in front of everyone and then you know someone's coming forward to to protect them from the crowd and then them all dispersing and then other people in the crowd reveal themselves to be sea monsters because now it's acceptable right like it's just clearly a metaphor for coming out right but i guess where, where i stand on this is certainly it's it's absolutely phenomenal i fully support that but if you have ever felt othered Right? If you've ever felt othered in any way because of your race, maybe your gender, your orientation, certainly, as we've talked about, a disability, perhaps, literally any reason, if you've ever been made to feel like an outsider and you have had to hide parts of yourself, I think Luca is something you can find meaning in personally, right? I am not white. And uh, I mean, I, I also am saying this as a heterosexual man, right? So I certainly have tons of privilege when it comes to that. But again, I'm not white. So I, sometimes you feel like you hide parts of your personality or you hide parts of your heritage, perhaps, in order to fit in, right? I can't tell you how many times I've had the conversation with my parents about them using, and this has also been covered in movies as well, but them using their, you know, their, uh, how should we say, their, their like white voice, right? And, and then they're using their regular accents when they're at home. Look, I just, Again, if you've ever felt othered, I just feel like Luca is something you can find value in. And I, I think maybe that's why I'm a little more forgiving of its simplicity than others, right? I think a lot of other people have said, ah, it's, a, it's not good, it's too small stakes, it doesn't really develop any of the characters. I, I largely disagree with a lot of that, but again, I do recognize that it's not exactly the most ambitious project Pixar has ever worked on, right? Um, I will also say the animation of this movie is stunning. It is absolutely stunning, and and I don't necessarily mean the characters, but the way they animate water, and that sounds so lame when you say it out loud, ah, look look how they animated the water, right? Who cares? But it's beautiful, I gotta say, like, it's really nice to look at. Like, there are scenes, no, I'm not kidding, where it looks like the kind of cartoony characters they created for, let's say, Luca and Alberto, it looks like they have been... Like copied and pasted onto a photorealistic picture, essentially. That's how real it looks. Like it it is phenomenal. I mean, and and you get to see it in a number of ways because the the boys are sea monsters, so they're in the water. They're underwater in the sea monster town, mermaid town. They're kind of like mermen, I guess, but whatever. You see, you see them down there. And then you see them come up, for, come up to the surface and they shake the water off themselves or tons of times where little bits of water will get on them and you see their skin change to the scales. It's honestly, it's very impressive. And look, I think if you're, if you're giving this movie an award based on pure technical merit, I think Luca would probably win over a lot of things. But, you know, when you're talking about like awards in general it's the sum of its parts and i think that's why maybe it's getting overlooked a little bit a teensy bit at least right i I will say i think the actual character models kind of remind me of what i would imagine wallace and gromit would look like if it wasn't explicitly made to be like claymation right i mean i know wallace and gromit is claymation so that's obviously what's going to look like but like if wallace and gromit was smoothed out a little more in order to you know, show, like, to be a little more modernized, perhaps, is a better way of saying it, I think this is what it would look like. They're, like, when they're eating the pasta, and you see, like, they're eating the pasta with their hands and stuff, like, their their teeth and their mouths move in the same way, <laughs> like, Waltz and Gromit. It's kind of, it's hard to describe, but that's what it reminded me of more, their eyeballs and so on. That's what it reminded me of more than anything else, but... Again, that's not a diss. I I love Wallace and Grom. It's phenomenal stuff. But either way, Luca, yeah, phenomenally visually stunning. The story, very simple, right? Certainly Luca meets a new friend, and Alberto feels slighted. There's a very interesting part, which I actually audibly gasped at. Um, and of course, I think, you know, this is a spoiler, so if you don't want to be spoiled, skip past this part. But there's a part of the movie where Alberto, jealous of, his, of Luca's relationship with with this other girl, whose name I am completely blanking on, actually, now that I think about it. But either way, the the human girl who they meet in this town of Porto Rosso, okay? They meet this girl, and the large plot of this movie is, essentially, that three of them compete in, like, a triathlon, essentially. One swims, one uh, bikes, and one eats pasta, because, of course, it's in Italy, right? (laughs) Uh, And uh, they initially were all going to do each... like Each character was going to do one step, and then they kind of have a falling out, so... They all do all the steps at the end, which is allowed, I guess, right? I don't know why it would be allowed in in a race made for, like, you know, 16-year-olds at the max. But, hey, there you go. Uh, But the, the, the aspect that I'm talking about here is that the girl becomes closer with Luca, who learns about what going to school is and learns about, like, the stars and learns about telescopes and planets and all these different things. And Alberto gets jealous, and there's a part where they fight, and Alberto decides to, in order to make the girl fear him, fear them both, he decides to come out as a sea monster. And he goes into the water, and he rises, and he, like he, he's all scaly and purple. And the girl yells, sea monster! And he looks at Luca, and Luca also yells, sea monster, and he points at him. And I gasped at that, that, that part, because you're viewing it in the lens that I'm viewing it through. You think to yourself, boy, Alberto essentially tried to out Luca without his consent... And Luca, who wasn't ready for that, reacted negatively to it. But then Alberto felt hurt by it. I gotta say, that was probably the most affecting story beat in this entire movie. Because of how, of how, how certainly how it was presented. But certainly of, of what you know about Alberto's history. And how he feels like he was betrayed by his father. Another thing too, with the whole father aspect of Alberto's backstory. They never really explain it. They kind of just let you decide what you think of it for yourself and certainly i mean child abandonment you know is kind of what they seem to be going for right alberto was abandoned by his father as a young man he's been living on his own ever since and kind of fending for himself until he meets luca and i kind of appreciate that they don't kind of like they don't like dumb it down they just say let you figure it out for your own i mean hell he could have been abandoned maybe alberto's father was one of the characters who was hunted down by the people of porto rosso before the events of the movie. Like, who knows? It's up to you to decide. But I appreciate they, they uh, let you decide for yourself. You guys know, uh, if you've listened to this podcast before, that I'm a big fan of uh, like implying and not like beating you over the head with story beats, right? So, again, another another point in Luca's favor, certainly. But either way, I still think the characters of Luca and Alberto are developed enough. Um, the parents are played by Maya Rudolph and Jim Gaffigan. They're fine. They're fine. They mostly do all their stuff for comedy anyways, as you might imagine from Maya Rudolph and Jim Gaffigan, right? Uh, Jacob Tremblay and Jack Dylan Grazer, also very good as Luca and uh, Alberto, respectively. Uh, Jacob Tremblay, certainly, you, you know, if you've seen him in a bunch of different things. Remember that he was in uh, Room, right? Certainly Room, where he made his big break. And uh, Jack Dylan Grazer... He was in Shazam, and I want to say he was one of the kids in the in the new It movies as well, right? So he he is, he is a very good actor as well. They, look, all the voice actor, all the voice acting was was uh, tremendous, right? The talent was great. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen has a kind of blink and you'll miss it cameo. If you can guess who Sasha Baron Cohen plays in this movie without looking at the credits, uh, before you know, before you guess. I think I would be really impressed because I could not get. I saw his name and I'm like, who the hell is Sasha Baron Cohen? And I looked it up and I'm like, man, that was a great job. So he does. He, it's only like a three or four lines of dialogue character. But again, one of the more entertaining parts as well. And, and if you're watching this, there is an after credit scene. There is one, so stick around for it. Another really funny one directly related to what we were just talking about with Sasha Baron Cohen. But again, Luca, I think. A better Pixar offering than people are giving it credit for, it may not win any awards, but I think there's something in there for virtually everyone, which is why I think I liked it as much as I did that 's it from me on this episode of the Showtime movie podcast. Only two movies on this episode, but uh, you know I think something tells me in the not too distant future we 're going to be getting back to three and four movies i have I have applied for accreditation to twenty twenty one tiff i 'm um, not going to hold my breath because you know we 're a relatively small podcast and you know, I I decided not to apply via my employer this year. They usually are good enough to help me out, but I feel like if I'm not, you know, doing it just for this, it's kinda harder to justify. So we'll see what they say. Maybe they throw me a bone and give me like a couple of passes or something. It's also possible they're just like, hey, F off. <laughs> you know, buy a ticket if you want to see these movies and hey, I'll I'll complain about it, but I'll also understand if that's the reason why. But hey, we'll see what happens. The accreditation closes in a couple of days and I have I've gotten all of my my uh, supplemental material in so we'll have to see on that um it looks like dune is going to be one of the headliners at tiff this year which is going to be really exciting so i'm I'm going to see that movie at tiff either way whether it's via the press or whether it's just me buying a ticket i'm very excited to see dune um i think in the next episode we will have uh, probably have black widow to talk about um you know i i will not have seen the fast and the furious nine right fast nine just yet because at least here in ontario we haven't even moved into stage two right hell i mean we're it's like you have 70 percent of people vaccinated here in the in the province and only like salons hair salons and barber shops are only opening next week so we're or a ways away from movie theaters opening even at a limited capacity i mean hell the, even even uh, the Blue Jays are still stuck in in America down in Buffalo. So like we're here in Ontario, we're still a ways away from things getting back to entire normalcy. But uh, as soon as they do, as soon as uh, movie theaters reopen, for example, as far as it pertains to the podcast, uh, my butt is getting back to a the theater. I have I have both vaccines uh, or both shots of my vaccine, I should say. I have it's almost been two weeks, so. In, in a couple of days, I will officially be fully vaccinated. So uh, and you know, if, if, whether or not you believe in the vaccine or not, that's up to you. I, I personally do, and I hope if you listen to this, maybe you probably share some opinions of mine as well. So maybe we are in agreement on that. But I will say, I can't wait. I, I know I've said it before. <laughs> I know I have. And I maybe I'm slamming it home because this is a movie podcast, but God, I can't wait to watch movies again. Like I cannot wait to see Fast nine. The the uh, Green Knight has finally been given a release date for later in July. James Bond, Black Widow, certainly. I, I mean, I'm going to see it on Disney Plus, but that would have been a lot of fun to watch on the big screen. There are just so many movies coming out soon. There are those um, those streaming movies that I think I mentioned in this segment last time out, uh, Infinite and the Tomorrow War. My dad actually told me it's funny. I saw my dad the other day for Father's Day, and he was uh, he was like, "Show the Tomorrow War is coming out. We should watch it. That movie looks awesome." And i like, you know, my dad is the reason – my mom too, but I would largely credit him more than anything. He is a large reason why, if not the reason, why I love movies as much as I do, right? He is the reason for me seeing as many movies as I do, for watching anything and everything, for having, a, I think, a relatively open mind. But after seeing that trailer, I just – sometimes I think to myself, like, how are we related? How, like, how are we still related? Like, my dad loved – if you remember um that Seth MacFarlane Netflix movie A Million Ways to Die in the West I think it was called and I remember watching that and thinking god this is terrible this is a terrible movie and, I, and my dad watched it he's like "Show did you see that movie that Seth MacFarlane movie it was hilarious" and I thought to myself "Really?" And then it's funny because I mentioned my mom briefly as well I remember looking at her and she kind of just shook her head, right? And again, my mom is probably where I get the other half of my tastes from because where my dad and my brother will absolutely slap their knees, tears falling down their cheeks at like toilet humor-y kind of stupid stuff – my mom and I, I think have more similar movie tastes than anything else. So, and, and my sister as well. So, it often ends up being like my dad and my brother on one side and then me, my mom, and my sister on the other side, and it always often makes for lively dinner conversations whenever I go back home these days. But uh but yeah, he's very excited to see the tomorrow war. So, you know what? I, I was probably gonna watch it anyways and review it here, anyways, but I feel like doubly more responsible to do so now because he loves like he loves the idea of it so much. I think he just likes Chris Pratt, I think is what it is. I think he just dislikes Chris Pratt, but we'll have to see. i'm I'm not gonna hold my breath for that being a particularly good film, but hey, I've been wrong before. I have been wrong before about a great many things. And it's not going to be the last time that I'm wrong about something. So, hey, if The Tomorrow War is, oh, it's good, then it's good. Uh, We'll have to see on that front. But for now, you have been listening to the Showtime Movie Podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for always leaving comments and, and subscribing and reviews and all that good stuff. But until next time, stay safe. And as always, have a great night.